Welcome to the Word of Life Center podcast. It's our desire that today's message would equip and empower you to see the Word of God bring life to your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, praise the Lord. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. The Amplified says it this way, but understand this, that in the last days will come, and then it says the word set in. The Amplified Bible takes all the nuances of the Greek and, 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 and says it. Where the King James is limited, they have to make a choice. The, the Amplified Bible is able to put in every nuance of the language. And one of the nuances in this is the word come in the Greek. And it means come and settle in. Set in. Perilous times of great stress and trouble, hard to deal with and hard to bear. Now, you say, well, well, why? Well, beginning in verse 2, it tells us why. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters. Now, just, as we read this, just think about our society. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. I want to talk to you about becoming a first responder. Becoming a first responder. Uh, a first responder, of course, we know uh, what that means, and I'll get to that in a minute. What, what does it mean to be a first responder? First of all, one of the things I think is interesting is that they don't call them first reactors. They call them first responders. Now, it's my opinion, and I preached this before here, I preached it here, that we are living in what I call the days of seven times hotter. And I'm not talking about the weather. Weather's bad enough. I'm not talking about the weather. I'm talking about the Old Testament scripture where Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would not bow. And the king said, heat the furnace up seven times hotter. In other words, you know, we know the normal fire will kill him, but I want to, I, I, he want, he, he didn't want to just burn them. He wants to make them burnt toast. And he's trying to make a statement and he, he went into a rage. The Bible says his face was changed because of the rage. And a lot of people, they, they don't understand the, the hate that's being spewed out in America today. I can, I can explain it. It's in Revelation 12, 12. Satan has come with great wrath because he knows his time is short. It's interesting that the devil knows more about time than the church. 
He knows his time. He knows his days are numbered and he's mad about it. And that wrath is expressed in people's temperament. People mad for it, don't even know why they're mad. Unreasonable mad. I saw a guy today pull around a dump truck. The dump truck was turning. He just wasn't turning quick enough. And the guy got mad. He was in a little bitty car. Pulled right in front of the dump truck, slammed on his brakes to make a point. I thought, you idiot. He's six times bigger than you are. You're going to make a point and die? He just lost, and the guy just laid on the horn. They pull into the shell station. They're looking at each other. I thought, oh my God, just uh, let me get my gas and get out of here. I don't want to die in the crossfire of two idiots, you know. Mad about what? It's a dumb truck. It can't go fast. It's full of dirt. That's the way they are. Why risk your life? It's unreasonable rage. And it's a spiritual thing that's happening in the land. So we're living. What I mean by that is if you're living on the same level of peace that you have five, that you had five years ago, your insides aren't keeping pace with what's happening outside. The peace in you needs to be amped up to keep pace with what Satan is doing in the world. God is greater, but is he expressing himself in a greater way? Is the force in you greater than the force outside you? It can't be normal anymore because these aren't normal times. You can't have an average relationship with God. You can't be casual anymore and be victorious. You've got to let God out of you. And we've got to become professional, professional stress handlers. You know, these crazy Arkansas people up in the hills handling snakes, you know. I'm not talking about that, but, you know, kind of like that. Those, those people are crazy. You know, they handle snakes. They still do that in Virginia. Crazy bunch of people. But I look at it like this. I, I'm not going to grab a real snake. I'm not stupid. But I want to be able to handle whatever the devil throws at me with the peace of God. He comes at me with a seven stress problem. I'm going to return 18 of the power of God. Greater is he. So we're not talking about Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. These are not equal opposing forces. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So there's no doubt about the kingdom of God being greater than the kingdom of darkness. But what I'm seeing is the hate in the devil's crowd is greater than the peace in our bunch. That's not right. It's not right. And we've got to learn to live in peace in these days. Now, let me give you just a few differences between a responder and a reactor. I like this. I, looked, I actually looked up a definition about first responders. There's different kinds. There's community first responders. That's a person that's dispatched locally right there. So they're in different communities all over. And, and, and when something happens, they get on the communication, 
communication systems and they get these community responders to, to get there because they're closer. They're dispatched to, to attend medical emergencies until an ambulance arrives. They can be paramedics, EMT, emergency medical technicians, police officers, firefighters, rescuers. There's also certified first responders. They're kind of a notch up. They, they can do defibrillators and they can do, I mean, emergency stuff to, to, to contain people that are about to bleed to death. They, they know how to get them to stop bleeding to death. I like that. First, re, first responders know how to stop the bleeding. I like that. But one of the definitions I think I like the most, it says a first responder is any individual who runs toward an event rather than away. What's the difference between a responder and a reactor? By the way, Jesus was a responder. He did not react. He marched to the beat of the kingdom of God inside his heart. He marched to the beat of the will of God. He did not allow the world to dictate his mood or his pace or his response. For a reactor, when you react, you put yourself in the arena of the flesh. And in the arena of the flesh, what you've done is open open yourself up for outside forces to dictate what will happen. A responder immediately yields to the kingdom of God within them, the Holy Spirit within them, and so that force is now available to dictate what will happen. When they came uh, with a woman caught in adultery, isn't it interesting that they, they, they said in the very act, you know, did you guys get lucky or had you been watching this deal? I think they were familiar with uh, maybe her schedule. I mean, what are the odds you catch her in the very act? You know, you dog. But anyway, they throw her down at the feet of Jesus, expecting a reaction. Instead, they get a response. He ignored them. They're full of anger. They're wanting to see some blood. And Jesus' first order of business is to show them how unimpressed he is with what they're doing. He ignored them. And when they kept pressing the issue, it says he stooped down and he started drawing in the dirt. We could speculate all day about what he's drawing, wouldn't we? You know, Fred, you was there at 2.30. John, you was there at 1030. Yeah, Pharisee, Bob, you were there. Who knows what it called? They look at, oh my God, he's, he's got our schedule there. Because it says they were all convicted in their heart. I don't know what he drew. But you know what? What the message was is I am not moved by what you're doing. I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be moved to react the way you want me to react. That's a responder, not a reactor. A reactor uh, uh, makes a problem worse. A reactor runs to a fire and throws gas on it. 
You have people in your family like that? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I know what you're going to do. You're going to go over there and make it worse. People always throwing gas on something they should throw water on. A responder instantly makes things better. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. That's a responder, not a reactor. And it makes an immediate difference. Moses jumped out and killed an Egyptian. Made himself, made his situation worse. He fled because he thought everybody knew about it. A responder always has the bigger picture. And he operates from that picture instead of the immediate. These are some differences. A reactor is servant to any emotion. A responder is a master of his emotions. Emotions make great servants and horrible masters. God spoke to Cain, said sin's desire is to have you. He was angry. James chapter 1 verse 20 says, The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Cain reacted. God tried to catch him. Before he reacted, he tried to catch him and said, Sin's desire, this emotion of rage, wants to rule over you, but it doesn't have to. A respond, a, a reactor is totally dictated by the urgent. The urgent dictates his life. A responder, the important, dictates what they do and their schedule. You know, the squeaky wheel maybe shouldn't always get the grease if it's not the most important wheel on the wagon. Sometimes there's more important things in your life that we need to attend to. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, I I believe we should return to a biblical standard. I I believe sometimes we let our standard down because we say things like, you know, we're, 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 we're human. I've even heard preachers say things like this, you know. Well, we're not perfect. We all sin every day. Who are you talking about? First John 2 says, These things I write unto you that you sin not. It must be possible for us not to sin or he wouldn't say, I wrote you this stuff so you'd stop it. It must be possible to live victorious. I don't know where it says in the New Testament. I haven't found it. Where it says we have to sin every day. We might need to just go back to the Bible. And we all give ourselves excuses. But look, look, at, look at Philippians 4. And I'll read it. Philippians 4. I'll read it in the Amplified. I think we need to get back to the biblical standard. Do not fret. Or have any anxiety. About anything. (laughs) Got quiet, Paul. Got quiet. See, when you preach the standard, people, in their mind, they start going, but, 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 you don't know, but you don't know. I don't I'm sure I don't know. But I do know the word. And the word says, don't fret or have any anxiety About anything. I laughed this morning because I got to practice this. 
I'm telling you, it was bad. I had an MRI done. Anybody know what an MRI is? They slide you inside that thing, and it's like those movies when them guys get stuck in those caves. And, you know, the, 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 the cave wall is... I hated it. I didn't like it. I started feeling anxious. <laughs> I was laughing. I thought, ladies go, she's going to get on to me because I started laughing. I started laughing. Isn't this, isn't this cool? I'm about to have a panic attack, and tonight I'm preaching on don't have any anxiety. <laughs> I'm about to have a full-blown panic attack. I, I'm wanting me a happy pill right about now. <laughs> I'll get one off the street. I don't like this. I do not like this. 20 minutes and that thing, making that tribal drum, brrr, whatever that. I hated that thing. I had to find my happy place. I did. I had to, I had to go inside and say, okay, Lord, I thank you that, that the peace of God inside of me is greater than this circumstance I find myself in. I'm not going to have a panic attack because if I do, I'm going to mess this thing up and just have to do it over. I hurt, if you're wondering, I hurt my neck bench pressing, trying to do too much and prove I'm still young, and I hurt myself. It's not serious, but they want to know what's wrong. Anyway, so I'm healed. Hallelujah. But the point is, it's hilarious that that was my morning. Inside that, inside that thing, and I'm sitting there thinking about Philippians. Don't, don't fret or have any anxiety about anything. That's a powerful word. Then it says, and in everything, by prayer and petition, definite request with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. And God's peace shall be yours. God's peace. Didn't say Moses' peace. Didn't say Abraham's peace. Didn't say King David's peace or the Apostle Paul. It says, and God's peace will be yours. That tranquil state of soul, assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever that sort that is. I'll talk to you about that in just a second. That peace which transcends all understanding. Now, I can tell when I preach this that some of you are warning me to be reasonable. Come on, brother, now, be reasonable. Stress is a part of life. We can't live without stress. It's, it's everybody gets uh, afraid. Everybody, we're, everybody, we all human. We all sin every day. We all, we'll just drag us all down. See, what you're doing is you're making the word conform to your experience. Instead of making your experience conform to the word of God. And the word of God says, don't fret or have any anxiety about anything. That's the standard. Come on now, shoot for the sun. You at least might hit a star if you miss. But if you just shoot, you know, low, you're going to hit something lower. Why not shoot for the standard of the Word of God? I'm not there. You may not be there, but that is what I'm going for. 
I'm going for that life where the peace of God controls me 24-7. That's the promise. That's the goal. That's the standard. And that's what's available. No matter what my experience is, I'm not going to let the, my experience judge my level of victory in the Word of God. I'm going to let the Word of God set the, set the standard. Hallelujah. <laughs> the reason I'm laughing is because I, I had this conversation with, with, with an African, and, and I was telling him it was, it was wrong to beat his wife. He's pastor. I was telling him, I said, it's wrong to beat your wife. You need to stop beating your wife. He said, everybody beats their wife every now and then. I thought. <laughs> so we're supposed to say it's okay because you and all your buddies beat your wives every now and then. I got so mad, I got up. What, what did they say? I got up. What did they say? Get up on his grill or whatever they say. I, <laughs> I got up in his grill, and after about an hour, he said, okay, okay, I'll quit beating her. You know what I did? I, I told him, I said, I walked over to him, and I said, let me ask you something. Who's boss here in this college? He said, you are? I said, so you got to do what I tell you. He said, yeah. I said, all right, ball up your fist right here. Hold it out in front of you. He did. All the students are watching. It got tense. I said, now. I want you to bust your mouth wide open. He said, what? I said, do it. I'm boss. I'm the principal. You bust your mouth. I want to see blood. I want to see it right now. He started shaking. I started screaming at him. Do it. Do it. I know enough Swahili. I can chew him out now. Find you. Do it. He started saying, no, it'll hurt. I said, why won't you do it? He said, it'll hurt. I said, that's right. And the Bible says the two will be one flesh. If you won't do it to your flesh, why are you doing it to her flesh? That's just a little side note. What do you mean everybody? everybody you know, everybody beats a wife every now and then. Come on, brother. Don't be reasonable. This is the peace of God that goes beyond understanding. It goes beyond the reasons why you shouldn't have peace, but you still have it. Oh, I've got a list here. You don't know my list. Well, maybe you don't know how strong this peace is. It transcends any list you got. No matter how long the list is, no matter how long the problem on the list has been there, the peace of God transcends all reason, all understanding. What does it do? Look at what it says. I love this language. It transcends all understanding and it garrisons And mounts guard, one translation said, it sets like an umpire. You know, one of the things that umpires do in a basketball game is tell them when they step out of bounds. You just stepped out of bounds. And the the peace of God will tell you when you're about to step out of bounds on that peace. And it'll tell you to get back in the boundaries. Garrison and mount guard over your hearts and minds 
in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you a little something that happened to me uh, a few, just a few years ago. Deb and I moved to Bossier. We, lo- we moved into a tiny house. We live off Swan Lake Road over there in Legacy Subdivision. And we got an Econo house. We went from a big house in Magnolia... Four bedrooms, swimming pool, all the room, everything, and to a tiny house because that's what we could afford. Nothing wrong with it. But you know, when you live in another big house for years, you get lots of stuff. And we crammed and crammed and packed and shoved all of our stuff into that little bitty house. And I didn't like it. Every time I open the cabinet, something fall out. Every time I go to put something somewhere, something's already there. We ain't got no room in this place. And then when the kids come, oh my God. I'm in my bedroom trying to get some sleep. I can hear them talking. So I went and found a house. A bigger house. Where we could put our stuff. I was so happy. Because our finances had grown to the point we could afford that bigger house. I got all excited. Called Debbie over there. We looked at it. She said, this is great. All the guest bedrooms are one on one side of the house. And our master bedrooms all the way on the other side. Say la vie. You want to stay up and talk stuff all night long? Go ahead. I can't hear you. And I love grandbabies, but not at two in the morning when they're crying and they need changing. Stay over there and change them. I'm over here in my bigger house, room for my stuff. And, you know, on the way, we, we, we talked about it. Everything was good. And, and uh, on the way back to our little bitty house where I was already getting upset that we were going back to, Debbie looked at me and said, have you prayed about this? Well, you know I hadn't. To me, it's obvious if you got the money and can afford it, you ought to spend it. Right? I went to the Lord and said, Lord, you know, presented my case. We're in a tight spot. I don't like it. Got money now. This bigger house here. It's got all kind of places for our stuff. I'll be happier there. You okay with that, Lord? And I heard the Lord say, no. No, it kind of stumped me. I know the Holy Spirit. I know the voice of the Lord. And he, that's all he said was no. So next week, I thought he might have changed his mind. <laughs> I went back to him again and said, Lord, you know, we're in this tiny house. I don't like this house. Our stuff is spilling out everywhere. I got more stuff I want to buy, but I can't go buy it because we ain't got no room for it. Now, don't, Debbie knows I don't like throwing away any of my stuff. You can throw away your stuff all day. Don't touch my stuff. Ten years from now, I might need that. I'm sorry. Clutter is attracted to me. I work every day to repel it, but it's, it's hard. So I went back to the Lord. Lord, you know the situation here. Debbie and I have got money. We can afford that house. Nice house. You live, in, you live in a big spot. How come I, you know, I, you know, the whole thing, you know. I went through the whole thing, you know. Presented my case and waited before the Lord. 
heard, heard the Lord just as clear as I'm talking to you? Say, no. Nope. Y'all know what's coming, right? A few weeks later, I did the same thing. I didn't, you know, and on the third time, I guess I grew some brain cells. I finally said, why are you not permitting me to get that bigger house? And he said, I don't promote people out of discontentment. You need to learn to get happy right where you are. And you know what? I, I did. I changed my mind. I, I, I did. I just said, you know what? If I die, if I live the rest of my life in this small house and I die, I decide right now I'm going to be a happy man. You know what happened? Peace came. I decided to be happy where I was and peace came. Regardless of what you've been told, happiness at the end of the day is a decision. Because never is everything in your life lined up. You know, if you've got more than one kid, I mean, you know, it's like the dude spinning plates, right? Remember the guy on Lawrence, was it? Ed Sullivan, Lawrence, well, well, y'all know that. You know, he'd spin the plate on the stick, you know, and he'd start getting more sticks and more plates. And by the time he got this one down here spinning good, this one over here is about, that was my, our kids for years. They'd just act goofy and stupid and do stupid stuff. <laughs> then two of them would start acting right and the other one would go goofy. How come y'all can't just wake up on the same day and decide to do right? <laughs> one of them got to be squirrely. Now they all serving God now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on. Praise the Lord. They all, they all, we, we got the plate spinning, but, but, uh, so the Lord said, I don't promote people out of discontentment. And he's not talking about somebody who's not satisfied where they are spiritually and they want to get hungry and get more. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about an earthly, fleshly discontentment and you're griping about it. Don't be surprised if God doesn't promote you. Now, people always talk about how bad things are in the world, and they are bad. And the world system in and of itself is not going to get better. These are the last of the last days. The world system is going to get worse. That's the truth. Now, we can be salt and light in Shreveport, and we can make a difference in, in Shreveport. Bozier, we can be salt and light, and we can, you know, if my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and will heal their land. So we can be salt and light where we are, but the world system in and of itself is not going to get better. It's going to get worse. So the only thing that has to get better is, is the power of God inside of us. By the way, the world has, in bad, has been in bad shape before. In Genesis 6, there was a time when the, every person in creation, the Bible says, every thought of their heart was continually on evil. And God dealt with it. And when he dealt with it, the people that were righteous weren't punished. They escaped. Come on, somebody. Sodom and Gomorrah, those were some bad days. 
The Sodom and Gomorrah weren't cities. They were regions of cities. And the whole region had turned itself over to perversity. And God judged it. But when he judged it, he got the good folk out. Everybody wants to talk about how bad it is. Okay, we can talk about how bad it is. But look at what happened to the people of God in the middle of the worst situation. They were protected. They were covered. They were watched out for. They were safe. They were saved. A friend of mine was in Africa with one of the greatest missionaries, Ralph Hagemeyer, and they were in a Jeep. Now you're in an open-faced Jeep going 60 miles per hour in the savannah through the bush. 60 miles per hour is like 120 on I-20. And he said they came around a curve and found themselves in the middle of a herd of elephants. And Ralph Hagemeyer is just giving it this. He said, they missed a bull elephant that much. He turned to Mark and said, Mark, did you think that's close? Mark said, it was close. You almost got his kill. He said, Mark, it wasn't even close. Psalms 91 says, a thousand shall fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand. But according to the Bible, it's not even close. People talk about this generation. These millennials, they got the weirdest haircut, I tell you. They wear the craziest clothes. And they're the most disrespectful. I tell you, these millennials, they're, they're a wild bunch. God can't do nothing with that bunch of crazy. Look at how weird their hair is. The millennials are so disrespectful. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Uh-oh, that, that's granny up there. There's Grandpa out there. Come on now. I know some of you folks. They're millennials talking about hooking up. These people hooked up. They, they invented hooking up. Come on. Talk about how bad this generation is and how crazy they look and how crazy. Look at what God did with them. Come on now. Somebody lift your hands and thank God. This world has been bad before. We've seen generations that were bad before. We've seen times that were bad before. Now listen. Close your eyes just a second. Something think about this. Something about how bad this looked. There's a man on a cross. We had all of our hope pinned on him. And we're sitting there looking at the greatest hope the person that gave us the greatest hope of biblical fulfillment, the greatest hope that things were going to turn out the way they should, and we're watching him die. We're looking at the blood trickle down. We're, we're waiting for a miracle. We saw him heal the sick. We saw him, the lame walk, the blind see. We, we saw him raise the dead. But it doesn't look like anything's happening. There's nails in his feet. There's nails in his hands. There's stripes down his back. He he looks incoherent. I've never seen the master look. This looks horrible. Satan's laughing. 
All the demons of hell are slapping each other on the back. They're mocking. They're rejoicing. They're having a party. And they don't know that they've walked into a God trap. People today have all kind of bad things they want to say about the church. Look at how bad it is. Look at this. Look at that. Oh, no. It might look, we might look bloody. We might look bruised. But listen to me. On the third day, color came back into those cheeks. All those wounds were sealed up. And the Son of God opened his eyes. The stone was rolled away. And he walked out triumph over death, hell, and the grave. There's a remnant of the body of Christ. There always has been and there always will be. Listen to me. The church of Jesus Christ might be like a ship with some holes in the boat, but it's still the best ship on the water. And when all the other ships have turned over and sunk to the bottom, this ship will still be floating. Thanks for listening to the Word of Life Center podcast. You can connect with us on Facebook and Twitter or at our website, wordoflifecenter.org.